Pond Life, Lower Duck Pond's local news and events program starts right now. Broadcasting Lower Duck Pond since 1919. 107.7 RM. This, this is Rushwood Radio. Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? Run Russ and Rustwood Radio. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, ducklings. It's Jean Jambon here with you for On Life. This is the week of November 22nd. Today on the show, election primaries. Of course, you knew we were going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. We have just had the primaries. Day, Sunday, November 22nd, and we're going to take a look at everything politics, everything regarding to the mayoral election here in Lower Duck Pond. Uh, today we'll also have local news, entertainment, our famous community page, and a little bit about sports. We've got some, uh, some professional semi-amateur junior hockey league news uh, regarding the playoffs coming up. That's a little bit later in the show. Uh, of course, first, we want to talk about election primaries. Now, we, of course, had no less than 17 uh, respondents or candidates that entered the primaries this year. That was up from the 2019 election. Of course, the 2019 election was the first one in several years after Bruce the Moose retired uh, from politics. Uh, 2019 was a banner year. We had several candidates enter the elections. Uh, those candidates ranged from longtime uh, citizens, people who were council members uh, in politics already, to even uh, a tree, a horse. Uh, this year, we had some of the returning uh, candidates from last year. And some of those candidates uh, we'll talk about in just a second. So some of you are wondering um, if when previously Lower Duck Pond only had elections every two years, how come we're having elections again after this year? Well, council has had the ability, it's always been in the town charter, to call an election when the current mayor is missing in action. Jim the Boomer, uh, perhaps assumed dead or at least senile, um, hasn't been seen after shortly after the election in 2019. One by a landslide had a fairly close competition put up by Octavia the Tree. Uh, we'll get to more on that in just a second. Octavia the Tree running again this year. Um, also close, uh, close com competition from Patrick Barber Moore. Moore is not running this year. Um, he has endorsed Crystal Amethyst in terms of town council. Um, his council mate uh, citing reasons in terms of uh, being busy with uh, his dealership, his businesses, and just not really able to focus on that this year. Um, sort of a loss, uh, in my opinion, in terms of the types of candidates we have running. This is somebody who has been part of the town for a long time, knows the town, uh, and he has thrown his weight behind Crystal, uh, as well as some of the other town council members um, have also sort of endorsed Crystal. And we, we sort of knew that they would. Um, Crystal Amethyst, of course, being a town council member, 
um, running, and we will talk a little bit about the exit polls here in just a second. Now, uh, let's talk about campaigning this week while the primaries were actually in action. Uh, there have only been two candidates to campaign in the last couple of days trying to push their, um, well, not just push their agendas, but sort of bolster their support. Uh, Crystal Amethyst and Cordis, the mathematician, both campaigning quite heavily in the last couple of days. Um, in terms of Cordis, now we, of course, has had uh, reports from people like Agent Quinn Wells. Um, he had asked that nobody vote for Cordis. Of course, he's not actually in the election, just a concerned citizen, um, sort of a, a proponent of the political process. He indicated that Cordis was not sort of a reliable person, kind of indicated his sanity. And I think this is important to keep in mind. Of course, uh, Cordis, a, a, um, a limerick connoisseur, so to speak, um, don't know how that affected his election chances. Of course, he campaigned primarily on sort of these platforms where we didn't really hear much about what he wanted. They were all in poem. Um, I don't know if that really helped his chances, in my opinion, probably not. Of course, um, being being sort of the, the political analyst here at Rustwood Radio um, in previous elections, you know, I have my own opinions about that. Um, I personally don't think that he maybe had the solid foundation. I don't want to question his sanity. Um, but I think one of the big things that came out this week was um, the fact that he indicated he had a secret list, um, which uh, he said that the sort of purpose of which would come out after the election. Now, I think this is very troubling for a lot of people. They were really concerned, you know, what is this list? You know, you're not talking about platform, but, but you've sort of got this list going. Is it a kill list, for example? Um, now... I don't think we really have to worry about it. Uh, to be honest, in the exit polls, it doesn't look like Cordes is much of a factor in the election. Um, I think the big question now is, will we know what the list is about after the election if he doesn't make it to the next round of the primaries? Uh, will we find out who is on this list and what this list is about? All right, continuing on, um, just one more thing about Cordes kind of indicated he would only use city funding to improve the mayoral home. Um, and there's a lot of people who have said this is sort of a, a waste of taxpayers' money. Now, the, the mayoral home, whether or not it's in disrepair, is, is kind of one of those things that uh, um, has been a contentious issue. Now, um, a lot of the candidates in the past, uh, a lot of the mayors in the past, including Bruce the Moose, um, didn't actually use the mayoral home. It was more of a central office for administration, um, not really used as a living space, and therefore uh, they weren't really looking at it to keep up with minimum housing standards because um, it wasn't really housing residents. Um, now, is this sort of the best use of taxpayer money? Now, you could argue that, yes, if you know the mayoral house is there for the mayor to live in, if he wants, he or she wants to, um, and you know perhaps it does need some renovations to bring itself up to standard. Um, I think that a lot of the other candidates have other sort of agendas in terms of where taxpayer money is going. Uh, there's a big question about bike lanes. We're going to talk about that a little bit in uh, just a second here because we're going to talk about 
Crystal Amethyst. Now, Crystal Amethyst updated her campaign um, this week. Uh, she was campaigning quite heavily, um, discussing her platforms, and actually weighed in on the bike lane debate. Now, she had indicated that one of her policy amendments would be to add glitter and lights to bikes to make them more visible. This would solve the cyclist issue. Um, I, for one, think that this is a novel approach, uh, very smart to add in that regulation. Um, you know, this doesn't require a lot of, um, you know, taxpayer money or a lot of difficult policy changes or infrastructure changes. Really, basically, uh, that comes down to the responsibility of the cyclist, where the responsibility should lie. Now, personally, I believe that uh, cyclists have very little place in Lower Duck Pond, which is mainly car and boat centric. Um, but I do recognize the need for greener transport options. Um, now, in terms of Crystal's policy amendment, this is further to the poll uh, that was run earlier. Now, this was an independent poll. This was not run by city council. So, regardless of the outcome of the poll, it's not binding. It does not inform city council policy. It just is what is uh, and, you know, kind of gives us an insight to what residents are thinking in terms of this bike lane issue. Now, the bike lane issue in itself has been uh, a rising problem over the past year. A lot more cyclists downtown, uh, a lot more collisions between cyclists and cars, cyclists and pedestrians, cyclists and stray birds, uh, you name it. Uh, this is been uh, sort of a difficult year in terms of in terms of accidents and with the cyclists you know we've been having a lot of problems now the results of the poll are as follows 29.5 percent of respondents indicated the best solution to the downtown bike problem was to vote for bandit the raccoon as mayor and there would be no solution things would just go on as uh, they have been going on sort of status quo 28.7% of respondents who indicated uh, sniffing glue was the best course of action. Those were the top two. Uh, this really sort of is standard for downtown uh, Lower Duck Pond population. Honestly, I'm not that surprised. Um, I think between sniffing glue and voting for uh, Raccoon as mayor, it's kind of par for the course for downtown. Um, you know, most likely scenario. I mean, I think that uh, for all the all the motorists and pedestrians downtown that have to deal constantly with the cyclists, um, you know, Crystal has a novel approach. Um, Bandit the Raccoon has no approach. We'll just keep on going on as is. Uh, both are very cost effective. Um, you know, neither requires any sort of changes to infrastructure or taxpayer money, so there is that. Now, trash talking. We had a lot of trash talking this week. We had trash talking um, between, you know, mayoral candidates and other mayoral candidates. We had trash talking between candidates and citizens, citizens and candidates. Um, we had candidate Royal Wyatt uh, slamming Crystal in the press, calling her a criminal, um, due to her past sort of history as a prostitution. 
Um, you know, we had Dr. Len Ryan discussing, you know, he's a notable physician here in Lower Duck Pond, a little bit influential, discussing, again, not wanting to vote for Crystal because of her past. I do want to indicate a little bit of fact-checking here. Now, fact-checking with City Council does show that prostitution is not illegal in Lower Duck Pond city limits. Now, it is a question of morality, I suppose, uh, if that is, you know, what you're concerned about. You know, personally, I think an independent businesswoman trying to make it on her own, an entrepreneur, so to speak, would be good for office. Um, Royal Wyatt uh, was definitely vocal regarding uh, his fellow candidate, saying that it's it's you know it's just not moral. It may not be legal to vote for um, a essentially what boils down to is a former lady of the night. Um, although unfortunately his facts were not correct. Um, now in terms of Royal Wyatt in the primaries, exit polls show that you know there is no indication that he'll be moving to the second round. Um, however, that is not to say that a current candidate's position will not affect the future performance of a candidate that is uh, going to make it in the primaries and go to the next round of elections. Um, so that is out there. He put that out there. Um, you know, say what you will about the candidates, um, but this was, you know, this was sort of one of those things where you have a candidate mudslinging another candidate. Um, Royal Wyatt only receiving 1.4% in terms of the um, exit polls of the vote. Uh, so at this point, he won't get past the primaries. Now, talking a little bit more about Crystal Amethyst, uh, released new campaign posters a few days ago. Um, you know, for me personally, they were a little bit too bright to look at. I don't know where you stand in terms of uh, if you uh, like glitter. Um, shiny stuff. I know they're certainly eye-catching. For me, they're a little too bright to look at. Um, not my favorite election posters, uh, but, you know, they're, they're certainly eye-catching. Um, so, you know, uh, Crystal Amethyst campaigning hard uh, this week in, uh, in wake of the primaries. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the non-human candidates. Now, of course, we've got uh, in the exit polls, um, we have our uh, little buddy Bandit the Raccoon leading. Um, now, I don't have the exact numbers for that. Uh, oh, I do. Okay, sorry about that. 26.4% of the popular vote in terms of the exit polls. Uh, Crystal Amethyst currently sitting in second with 15% of the popular vote. Um, now, last year we had two uh, non-human candidates, um, and of course non-human candidates, a long tradition here uh, in Lower Duck Pond, sort of a figurehead for city council, which makes all the decisions anyways. Uh, Bruce the Moose, of course, um, you know, two-time back-to-back uh, -back, uh, successive winner. Um, Octavia the Tree almost winning over Jim the Boomer in the 2019 elections, uh, running again this year, and Augustus the Horse running again this year. Both had an independent probability in the election of 5.8% of winning. Currently in the exit polls, we see that uh, Octavia the Tree 
is actually running third in terms of the exit polls. So Octavia the tree setting uh, itself, uh, I don't know if you can engender a tree, but setting itself up uh, for perhaps another run to try and be mayor again this year. Um, according to my data, however, uh, Augustus the horse um, will not make it out of the primary round. So that only leaves two more, of course, if Bandit, Crystal, and uh, Octavia are in. Um, the two others are Mogan's Abbott, the homeless moonshiner, and Lennon Murillo. So that, at, based on the exit polls now, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, we could have a lot of change here um, between when the primaries are actually announced you know uh of course the margin of error on the exit polls um is fairly low they're a pretty good indication of, of how things are are going to come out um right now that's your top five so um that's you know that's looking like for the next round of elections that's who we're going to be taking a look at um just going back to royal wyatt 1.4 percent of the vote um now let's talk a little bit about mogan's abbott um, a long-time resident of Lower Duck Pond, um, homeless, we don't know whether that's by choice or sort of, you know, something happened to him, um, perhaps something regarding his moonshine, but uh, Mogan's is running in fourth place, uh, according to exit polls. Um, definitely has a shot if he campa campaigns pretty hard um, in the next round. Um, secured votes this round by offering uh, free meat pie and and uh, moonshine. I'm not going to say I didn't have some. Uh, it was pretty great. I don't know what he made the meat pie out of. Um, I would suggest if he wants a shot at being a mayoral candidate that he makes his next meat pie out of a raccoon. Um, but uh, definitely that was uh, something that I think helped him a lot in the primaries. Um, now, this win for Mogan's, I think we need to look at sort of two sides of things here. Um, is if, if a person like Mogan's Abbott were to win this election, is it better for the town or is it better for Mogan's Abbott? Uh, Mogan's being homeless, of course, if he won, he would get to live in the mayoral re residence, which is, you know, great for a homeless person to have a place to live. Um, and, you know, he could use the shed in the back to pr pr produce moonshine. I know we would all love that. But is that the best thing for our actual town? And I think that's uh, something that a lot of uh, lower duck pond ducklings are going to have to ask themselves going into uh, the next round after the primaries next week. Are you voting for this candidate because it's going to be better for the candidate? Is it a popularity contest? Or do you think would be best for uh, city, you know, city policy, um, the city moving forward? Obviously, this year, um, stagnation in terms of policy, um, stagnation in terms of development moving forward, um, a lot of infrastructure renewal projects and, and, and money for... Um, different programs in the community held up because we had a mayor, I mean, let's face it, people, we had a mayor that just 
didn't show up. Campaigned hard, just didn't show up. And I think that Ducklings really needed to ask themselves a lot more whether or not they were making the best decision in terms of somebody who was going to stick around. So I'm going to implore as as somebody who's part of this town that you vote for somebody who you think is going to stick around, be good for our town for a long time to come. All right, back with news after this. Hi, this is Crystal for Pat's Dodge Chrysler D. A member of the Auto House Auto Group. It's Truckawina packs with great deals on Ram, Dodge, and Jeep trucks and SUVs. For a limited time, leftover 2020 vehicles have a 0% financing APR on 72 months. That's a deal to throw glitter about. And with any 2021 purchase, you'll receive 20% off all services with me. Crystal. So don't go to Atkins. Don't be a terrible person. Go to Pat. And we're back with the news. Of course, as always, sponsored by Pat's Chrysler Jeep Dodge. Uh, Truckoween has been extended to Trucksgiving, which will be extended to Trucktober. An LDP resident faces fines and a large cleanup bill after a moat excavation on their property went awry on Saturday. 67-year-old James Kowalski struck a gas line with a mini excavator, causing emergency officials to have to react. There's no word on what the fines and cleanup bill are. However, LDP officials are reminding you to call before you dig. It's a free service offered by the city. They will come up and they will spray paint and mark any areas where gas lines and existing utilities exist. Of course, if you do happen to struck an underground utility, you could be held responsible for the damages. A report circulating amongst the medical community indicates the LDP Regional Hospital is short-staffed. The hospital is currently seeking medical staff in all areas, including nurses, doctors, reception, and x-ray technicians. There has also been question regarding whether Dr. Len Ryan can manage the entire caseload himself, and if his current mental wherewithal is at the capacity it should be for practicing physicians. Of course, Dr. Len Ryan announced publicly that he was getting a divorce from his wife, as well, he's been seen in the media supporting and as well combating current political candidates and political supporters, a move questioning many people whether or not he is fit to practice. Insurance is now investigating a burned building where an explosion took place last week at a local laboratory. Walter Dante of Lower Duck Pond indicated that an acetylene explosion related to an industrial laser was the issue. Fire services and insurance adjusters will be investigating to whether or not that is the case. Ahead of anger regarding the safety of such a laboratory in Lower Duck Pond, Dante has already volunteered to move operations outside of city limits. We'll be right back with entertainment news after this. Raising a family and becoming a father at 16 was difficult for me. Going to prison for a crime I didn't commit was even tougher. But with the help from the LDP Legal Society, I was finally able to get my life on track. 
Now I need an affordable home with quality construction at a great price. The new Old Mill Phase 2 townhomes in Lower Duck Pond. A family-oriented community at a great price. Come, visit our show homes with an emphasis on quality and value-based, mostly wood, construction. Welcome home, the new Old Mill Phase 2 townhomes from the 250s. I'm so happy with my new, new Old Mill Phase 2 townhome. Now, my family has a yard, a kitchen, and I'm finally drug-free and doing great. And we're back with entertainment news. Local author Victor Nohal releases his sequel to The Mountain of Madness this week called The Hills of Hysteria. It continues a long-standing fantasy series that Noel is known for. Of course, we will have all the information on that book, a total review and an interview with the author later on our book channel. Uh, that happens, of course, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. LDP's own Iron Fist plays at Duck Pond Park on Saturday, a fundraiser for Crystal's mayoral campaign. This is their first live gig in Lower Duck Pond. Uh, we're very happy to have a local band performing locally. Of course, Master Mandatory. The show happens between 1.30 and 5.30 p.m. The Park also hosted a bevy of horror films this weekend, Night of the Living Dead, Dementia 13, and House on Haunted Hill. Uh, organizers say they hope to hold more screenings in the future, of course, socially distanced and wearing masks. That's your entertainment news. We'll be back with the community page right after this. Nobody, Nobody. gives away more free money. Come bonus time. I am going to show you enough love. You can start a third family. Choose fucking planet. I'm going to shove you now. Go ahead. 107.7 FM, Rustwood Radio. And we're back with the community page. Here are the want and for sale ads for this week. Old Man Crawford is looking for a reasonable apartment for rent or other suitable room and board for a term of four weeks. He can be contacted through the town's website. Elizabeth is looking for someone to help her dig a garden. You can visit her at the town morgue on Tuesdays and Thursdays or the local funeral home on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays to inquire about the position. This week only, Selly Citrus Fruits. All citrus is half price as a promotion for being back in business. And finally, Emily Porter is offering photography services for weddings and graduations. Message her through the town website for rates. We will be right back with sports. Hi, this is Liam Corteau, one of the top scorers from your LDP Feral Hockey Team. Did you know the 2020-2021 season is right around the corner? Due to social distancing concerns, there are only a limited amount of season tickets available. Last year sold out, so get yours early. Early bird tickets start at just $50 for three game special packs and are available October 15th. Don't miss a second of Farrell's action. All right, and we are back with sports. Now, the 2020-2019 uh, Professional Junior Semi-Amateur Hockey League has still not concluded, even though season tickets are being sold for next year, the 2020-2021 the, the season, which will now be played entirely in 
2021. They hope to have that started by January. Um, but we're still waiting for the first round of the playoffs to happen. Of course, um, the team's trying to find a neutral and appropriate site to play. Of course, we hope that Lower Duck Pond gets selected for all the action. But let's take a look at the matchups right now. So in the uh, upper conference, you have the number one seed Hydroelectric City Hurricanes going up against the Mount Shenley Mountaineers. And our very own Lower Duck Pond Ferrells going against the Eston City Dinosaurs. And then in the lower conference, you have the Grand Coulee Junction Challengers taking on the Redbird Rangers and the Jarville Jungle Dogs playing the Bellevue Bulldogs. Now, I just wanted to take a look at these round one matchups and break them down, sort of take a look at what we can expect coming up. Now, Hydroelectric City Hurricanes, we're not going to be surprised if uh, they totally, um, let's say, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to say destroy, but... It's a it's a distinct possibility um, if they might totally destroy <laughs> the uh, the Mount Shenley Mountaineers. So if we look at the season record against the Mount Shenley Mountaineers, they are six and zero against them. Uh, Thirty three to seven outscored their opponents in those six matchups. So we're you know we wouldn't be surprised if uh, they got swept in four. Um, and then looking at uh, the next matchup, uh, it's actually probably the uh, the closest matchup in terms of, you know, I would say parity. Um, and that is, of course, our own ferals going up against um, the Eston City Dinosaurs. That's going to be one to watch. That should be a really good series. Um the Ferals and the Eston City Dinosaurs were very close in uh, in play throughout the season. So uh, they played six games against each other. Uh, of course, that's in the same division. Um, they the our Ferals won three. They were three two with one shootout loss. Goals four were twenty nine. Goals against were twenty one. So very very close games. Very very close series against these two. I'm very interesting or interested to see how it works out um, as soon as play gets underway. I think that will be the most exciting series to watch. Now on the other side, um, the lower conference uh, in terms of you've got grass or sorry, you've got um, you've got the challengers versus um, the Redberg Rangers. Now the Rangers sort of they had a late rally in the season. They made some great signings um, sort of mid-season last year that put them in uh, in a position to sort of challenge for a playoff spot. They did manage to get a playoff spot and they're playing the best team uh, in the lower conference of the Grand Coulee Challengers. Now, if we look at um, if we look at their record versus the Challengers, uh, the Challengers have won. Uh, they played them four times. They won three, or sorry, they lost three. The the Redbird Rangers lost three, and one was an overtime loss. They were outscored seventeen to five in those four games by the Grand Coulee Junction Challengers. I'm afraid we're probably going to have to assume that the Challengers are going to take that series, um, and it's probably not even going to be close. 
even less close will probably be the Jarville Jungle Dogs versus the Bellevue Bulldogs. Now, the way the playoffs work out, and we'll get to that in just a second, is the top two teams from each division in each conference play each other. So the, you know, the reason that the Bellevue Bulldogs were able to squeak in the playoffs was because in that division, in the, in the lower coast conference, there is basically no competition against the Jarville Jungle Dogs. You also have the Bellevue Bulldogs and the Rosewater Roses. And both of those teams were absolutely terrible this year. So the Bulldogs only recorded 19 wins. And if you look at their record versus the Jarville Jungle Dogs, um, you know, the Jarville won all six of their matchups against Rosewater outscored them 36 to four over those four games. So not even close. We got to assume that it's going to be just another sweep. So, um, you know, I I don't think we'll be surprised by any of the results uh, except for maybe the, um, the ferals versus the dinosaurs, which, um, should be a pretty good series. Now, how did we get here? Let's look at how the teams finished at the end of the regular season. Um, so, looking at um, looking at the the sort of the regular season standings, um, this is how everybody finished. Hydroelectric City finished in first with 131 points. Uh, they went 65 and four on the season. Mount Shenley narrowly, just narrowly. Um, squeaked into the playoffs in the upper conference uh, mountain division by beating out Queens Forest. Um, they finished the season 78 points versus Queen Forest 74. Um, you know, that is that was really close. So Mount Shenley just got into the playoffs, but I have to say, unfortunately, I don't think they stand a chance against Hydroelectric City. In the Creek Division, the Lower uh, Duck Pond Ferrells play, um, the Ferrells play or Ferrells finished second in the league, first overall in the Creek Division, with 130 points, 64 wins, four losses, two shootout losses. Won their last 33 games going into the playoffs. So, uh, of course, they're looking very good, very good to start the playoffs against Eston City. Um, Eston City, 53-14, three shootout losses on the season. Of course, we know their record with against Lower Duck Pond during the regular season was nearly tied. Um, 109 points finishing out the season, third place overall in the league. So uh, they are definitely a force to be reckoned with. You know, we're going to be... Um, we're going to be watching that series very closely. Now, in spite of the fact that Polville finished with 95 points, of course, in the Creek Division, they finished out of a playoff spot. So they had 45 wins, 20 losses. Um, they definitely struggled near the end of the season, I think, and that probably put them out of playoff contention. You know, there was a time where they were at the, in the top two. Um, they definitely fell out of that spot and lost some ground. Uh, looking at the lower conference now, um, again, Coast Division, it wasn't even close. 71 points for Jarville, 34 wins, 33 losses, finishing just over 500 on the season. Um, and Bellevue wasn't even close. I mean, uh, they were 9-60, and 60, one overtime loss, 19 points on the season. Um, you know, they... 
they were outscored 379 to 117 over the season. I mean, what else can I say? There is just no competition in the lower conference. It, I think it was disappointing to see for the league as a whole that they're just, you know, there wasn't a lot worth watching in that conference over the season. Now, this compared to the Plains Conference, which got very interesting near the end. I mean, uh, in the beginning of the season, it was clear that Grand Coulee Junction was just, you know, sort of terrorizing people. And, <laughs> you know, they, there was no competition for them, uh, probably in all the lower conference. Um, and, you know, they finished the season 44-24, two shootout losses, 90 points. Um, outscoring their opponents 251 to 187. They lost three going into the playoffs. So we'll have to see if that affects them um, against Redberg. But of course, Redberg's never won a game against a Grand Coulee Junction. So, um, you know, you can't. <laughs> If you want to, if you want to talk about how that affects a team mentally, I think Redberg would be much more affected knowing they never won a game against a team that they're playing a playoff round against. Now. Um, it looked in sort of the third quarter of the season, kind of going into the stretch, that Grassland might make a run for a playoff spot. Grassland in the first half of the season were holding on to that second place. Redberg, of course, had some great signings um, near the free agent deadline and uh, really turned that into points going 35-33, two overtime losses, 72 points on the season. Um, they really put together a strong finale to the season, um, outscored their opponents 215 to 207. Uh, I know that's pretty close. They've won two going into the final um, end, end of the season. Um, Grassland was ahead of Redberg for most of the season and kind of fell off the map. Redberg started stringing together wins. Grassland couldn't get it together. Gators finished uh, 26 and 41, one overtime loss, two shootout losses for 55 points. Um, were outscored 267 to 204. So they weren't in, you know, they ended up not being in contention for a playoff spot. New Holland um, did sort of, you know, they, they tried to put a little bit of a run together towards the end of the season. I think, you know, obviously they weren't going to make a playoff spot. Uh, they finished the season with 30 points, so they weren't last overall. They actually finished ahead of Bellevue and Rosewater. So, so they, they weren't last by any means. Um, you know, I think next season will be a lot better for New Holland under new management with a new owner. Uh, they definitely, you know, did some pretty good movement uh, in terms of players contract signings and whatnot so so they're looking they're looking better uh going into the final now um in terms of you know in terms of just sort of uh who finished the league who's looking for a trophy at the end of the year who's looking for awards um you know if we if we look at uh, our top players here um you know in terms of in terms of goals um, you know, you've got top scoring Harry Brousseau from the lower duck pond and Liam Corto, 42 and 41 goals, respectively. Um, Harvey Olver from the, uh, Eston city dinosaurs, uh, 39 goals on the season. Um, these are the guys that, that will be in contention for, uh, for awards there. Uh, and then looking at assists, Espen Spire from the Hydroelectric City Hurricanes and Edward Dahlstrom, uh, 55 assists each. Our own Mal Zuccarello from uh, Lower Duck Pond Farrells finished with 54 
as well as Jesper Antonovic, uh, our defenseman, 54 assists. Um, in terms of points, uh, I don't think anybody is surprised. Harry Brousseau, 94 points on the season. Uh, he was a plus 118 in terms of his plus minus. Uh, uh, just an amazing, um, you know, uh, an amazing performance out of Harry Brousseau this season. Um, in spite of the fact uh, he only played 42 games. He didn't play the full season. He was injured for a, a long period um, of the season, and he still put together phenomenally. I think if he was healthy, um, he would have, you know, we, we might have seen an even better performance out of him. So, um, you know, this was a guy we signed as a, as a free agent. Um, we have him for three years uh, at 1.5 million. I think that's a huge bargain uh, for a player of this caliber. Um, and of course he was named to the all-star team this year. So, uh, looking for big things out of him in the playoffs. Now we will have all the news, all the sports news, um, when we, uh, are, uh, essentially back, uh, and you know, we'll have all the coverage here. And that is it for our show this week. Tune in next week. We'll have more election news, of course, as the uh, mayoral elections continue. We will have more sports news if the league decides to resume play for the first round of the playoffs. And, uh, of course, our famous community page and entertainment news as well. Uh, have a great week ahead. This is Jean Jambon signing off. Russ, Russ, Russ Radio.